Hi everyone, Ben Eisner here. Welcome to another episode of Knitted Heart, where I talk with endlessly curious masters of their craft about their passions, professions, and their shared hope to bring unity, reconciliation, and a reframing of public discourse through their work. Well, my guest today happens to be a personal friend of mine, Cohen Brothers storyboard artist since 1987's Raising Arizona, J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd's proven track record of making the film on paper first is what attracted me to wanting to adopt as many of his tricks of the trade into my own filmmaking. After spending two weeks with J. Todd at his tranquil home in Dayton, Ohio, planning out one of my upcoming films about my favorite post-hero, Thomas Merton, I officially will never go back to another method of prep for any production. Because J. Todd brings with him an endless boots-on-the-ground experience making movies, I decided to just let you listen in on our two-hour conversation as it happened. I want you to have the opportunity to glean as many little filmmaking nuggets as possible, because with J. Todd, they're around every corner. So with that, sit back, relax, and absorb the wise and humor-laden words of my dear friend, J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd Anderson. Hey. You see yeah. me? I see you. Yes, sir. I always cover that little camera. I, I did, too. I put, and like, I tape over it. all the time. I always forget, you know. Yeah, me, too. It's like you got a little setup there, man. Yeah, dude. I'm working on it. Oh, you can't see me very well, can you? Yeah, I can see you now. Dude, it's great to see you. Good to see you. Um, so what are you? You're in you're in uh Dayton, Ohio right now? Back in Dayton where you came. Yeah, you man. Are you ready to go on? Yeah, dude. I'm I'm let rolling. Me, let me I'm rolling. But dude, honestly. Fire away, I, buddy. Fire away. Fire away. Well, dude, I hope this is just kind of more conversational anyway. It's not full on formal interview, like, all right. When was the first time you were inspired to make movies? No. You're Bullshit. The I mean, you're the guy <laughs> that's interviewing me. Oh, dude, we're, not, we're having a conversation. That's all it is. Um, <laughs> well, fortunately, I know you a little bit, so it'll be a little easier. Heck yeah. Yeah, dude. How about this? Okay. We, can, we can make it all audio. Okay, I love it. You love it? Okay. Yeah, this yeah. is audio. Welcome audio to the world only. of NPR. No, um, <laughs> we did that for six years, you know. I'm filmmaking perfect. perfect. It's still on podcast. You can hear all 129 episodes. Uh, it's called perfectmovie.net, and that is 129 movies that we reviewed as perfect movies. So, yeah, you can find that still, it's out there. Yeah, actually, I was perusing that. Um, and uh, dude, let's just run through the four um, criteria you use for a perfect oh, movie. Oh, I've almost forgotten them, you know. Um, I, I, I almost them got in front of me to do that. But I can tell you, oh, yeah, just run through them and I'll comment on them. Um, okay. We used to get in a lot of fights with museums over this. This was fun. Oh, really? Yeah. Museums didn't really like the idea of us saying you can't rank a film. That's what I That's George and I said. There is no way to rank art. You cannot do it. It's like sin. It can't be measured. Um, right. It, it, art can't be measured. You know, evil can't be measured. Love can't be measured. But, you know, a good movie cannot be measured, cannot be ranked. However, if you set forth criteria to, to judge it by, then, then you at least have some standards to rate your reviews by so we do we have four standards and that's yes all we do, you know um george was a, george is probably the greatest historian 
in our modern life, you know, on films. Mm. Those TCM guys are all paper tigers compared to George. George knows it all. And, uh, you know, then I got, you know, 35 years of working on movies, over 100 movies. So we, we had the, we had it covered. Um, it's just that the radio station here in Dayton and Yellow Springs didn't want us anymore, so they uh, released us. So um, That's uh, too bad because, honestly, Jay Todd, you know more about cinema than anyone I've ever met. Well, that's only because I've worked in it, you know. Um, all these years of making movies. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I was well-versed before I got into the business. Not as well as George, but um, what came along for the ride was production and, mm-hmm. and how you do it. You know, mm-hmm. the, Joel and Ethan are, I have not seen it yet in any of my experiences, um, and I've not heard of it yet. I don't know of anybody that plans better than those guys than maybe some animators, you know, because but we deal with live action and, um, you know, gravity's the law. So you got to deal with that, you know, yeah. and you're dealing with animation. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff if you're storyboarding yeah. it. But we always had to be very conscious of what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And um, that was where I came in is we did as much as we could to shoot the film before we shot it. Um, yes. And I was always the first guy that saw the movie, you know. Yeah. And we were very fortunate that our movies um, were very popular when they came out. And um, yes. and I was very fortunate to be on that train ride, you know, because I recognized it was one of the very few smart things I've ever done in my life was pursue those guys and want to work for them. And uh, that's exactly what I did. Well, that's that's what actually interests me about you your work with the Cohen brothers and how you met them because obviously you guys must have immediately uh recognized that you both valued uh making the film on paper first or else you guys wouldn't still be working together like well we had success and when you get results like that you're gonna keep doing what you did you know we had success and they had success before they met me they admit they made Blood Simple. Yeah, and, and Blood Simple is a great film, but I saw some parts of it that I think could have uh, needed some storyboarding. Well, they storyboarded that picture, and um, and I knew when I got involved with them that that I was a you know I was this second guy to do their movies. But see, I had seen Blood Simple, and I had studied a lot of movies up until then. And I, I thought the blood simple, um, those guys were speaking to me because I understood that movie so well, mm-hmm. and the pacing and the timing of it, and most yeah. of all, um, the visual yes. thing where you place the camera and how to get the effect. Yes. And I had studied this, you know, for years before even I was even in college. I just didn't know it, and um, I knew as a visual artist that it was so important to not only complement the dialogue, but top it a lot of times with a good visual version of what's going on, you know, mm. because we are making movies here. So I tell people, I tell writers all the time when they're first timers, I said, we have to go to picture here, bud. We got to go to picture. We can't stay in word land and, and writing land. And um, I'm very critical nowadays of all the content that's out there. And it's just, 
a bunch of chewing gum for the eyes where people were sitting there talking and talking and talking. And they walk up to doors and they walk through doors and they come out of doors. Um, it's, it's mindless, mindless. Um, there's no, uh, um, no telling the story with pictures. And that's the highest form of the medium that we're dealing with is being able to tell the story with a picture. Yes. Um, it's certainly not being very smart with a dialogue. Right. And I will say that comes in handy once in a while, but you're making a movie here. That's, yep. for, that's for television and radio people, you know, yeah. carefully, you know, oh, that dialogue is so smart. It's so smart. <laughs> you're so smart. I don't think any of that stuff mounts, you know, yeah. because it's your exhibition and skill of picture that is going to like put you heads and shoulders above everything. And Joel and Ethan had it all. They could mm. do all that stuff. Um, yeah. But they valued good visual um, exhibition. You know, they valued that. And, and it shows, you know, all our great, our great film directors that we appreciated so much you know, like John Ford and Anthony Mann, uh, all those guys were visual stylists, you know? Yeah. And when we got, when we sat down on um, Raising Arizona, they they were very adamant about picking up where Hitchcock left off, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, I totally see Hitchcock through. And that, that is works. exactly what we did. We wanted to, you know, copy his planning, which I did in college and got me an award-winning film. You know, I studied up on how to storyboard properly and then I applied it and it, it really worked out because all the movies I made that I didn't storyboard in college were limp, you know, they mm. just they weren't, but they were, the other ones were, were strong. Um, so you're saying limp in terms of uh, audience reception? I was in college, you know, and I yeah. think it was hard to make a movie and um, it was really, it didn't gel, you know. It just mm -hmm. didn't gel very well because you, you, that's, you know, now one of the things that our, our teacher, Dr. Charles Derry did for us was, and one of the reasons is because we had no choice is that all our movies had to be made without dialogue because we were on film. And that's mm. a very expensive kind of thing to do when you start doing mag track and everything with film. So we, we were forced to do that. And when I did make my movies, uh, uh, without a soundtrack, they didn't work for me. So I studied up. I've been, you know, studied up on a few things. Like I got a really, really great book. It's called Raiders of the Lost Ark Illustrated Screenplay. And these were all the storyboard guys that came before me, you know. Mm. And um, I learned so much from that book. And so I started doing that and I got results, you know. And uh, when you get results in the movie business, you're doing something because yes. the movie business is the hardest thing to get results in. It really Absolutely. is, you know. Yeah. Um, you want successful results, you know, yeah. and uh, most of the time your results are going to be, you know, obvious that they're wrong and things like that. And the only thing you can do is just keep chipping at it, you know, until mm -hmm. you get it right. Um, I always tell yeah. kids, throw me a script. I say, take your script out with your iPhone and shoot it, you know. Yes. And then you'll understand how things work, how they yes, happen. Exactly. Because we are in movies. Yes. It doesn't stop at the writing. You have to go to picture. You have you to know? go to picture. Yeah, man. Well, um, after I spent two weeks with you at your house uh, for paid sessions um, to start storyboarding out one of my features. Um, Which is a really good movie. Oh, it's an thanks, man. incredible movie. Good story. 
solid nice. structure. It's got to get made because it's uh, about a really great yeah. guy that really affected the world. You know. Oh, thanks, J. Todd. That means a lot. Yeah, man. I'm I'm not giving up. I'm I'm holding fast to it. And I don't like really work on movies unless they're I'm I'm interested in them. Honestly, oh, means a uh, lot. If I'm interested in that script, off like Peanut Butter Falcon, when those guys came to me. Uh, they had that story and it was and they had shot a lot of stuff themselves it was really good mm. it's kind of like i did my first movie you know uh where i shot the first five minutes you know and i got it financed um the peanut butter fucking guys came and they, they were um they had nothing but dr drive you know and they did the same thing they came to my house and we sat down and we went through the script and flushed it out but the main reason why i did peanut butter falcon is that because of the star he was a down syndrome guy he wasn't some flaky actor trying to you know go for the fence you know <laughs> um, which they almost always do if you watch all those shows they all have the same kind of you know little compartments of tragedy and drama and uh -huh. <laughs> but they had this guy who who appeared to be look like he was gonna they were they're gonna work him like a you know on children's hours is you know and I said well this sounds very like it's a good deal and I like your script and um and it you know I think it's a really great script and movie that Peanut Butter Falcon I just I know a lot of people don't like it or who knows but. I still appreciate it. I'm very proud that it's on my resume, you know? Oh, dude, it, it did great. It has great reviews. Well, it was just, I liked their tack, you know? It yeah. was unconventional. And plus, the script was good, you know? I mean, although I'm saying you got to go to picture, your script still has to be good. It has huh. to be good. You know, Thanks but for saying that. I appreciate you that. have to have a good script, man. Um, Thanks, you man. can't really I think do it's anything with it visually, you know, unless it's a good script. <clears throat> yeah, and I overhauled my script, so I think it's a hundred times better from when we worked on it. So that's so, so only getting better. Um, but honestly, dude, my time with you, it was like a revolutionary uh, experience for me because it's like it was like this these meditation sessions that it was it was really beautiful. Um, I remember you told me like, okay, so what's what scenes do you want to work on tomorrow? And I said, okay, I want to start with the most challenging ones and kind of work our way through the, the, the heavy duty ones first. So I was like, how about 720, 73, and 15, whatever. And when you said, okay, well, let's work on scene five. Why don't you go ahead and read it to me? And you started visualizing it. And I, you were pacing around your house as I'm reading it. And then you're like, okay, man. Now I want you to draw a floor plan, a bird's eye view floor plan of how you envision the scene. And I was like, what? Okay. <laughs> and so, I, so I, I drew this floor plan and all of a sudden I had this instant context for where everything was. And you started drawing, you're like, okay, well, what happens if we just open on this master right here and then we push in on this and we do this reveal here and it's like, oh my gosh. This is so fun because the most stress I've ever, 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 ever had in the world is when you show up on set and you're like, uh, where do you want to put the camera? camera? Go? Where's the <laughs> camera go? Like, yeah, people really, you know, I understand that. Um, um, but there's, there's no reason why you can't solve the problems that you can solve before you show up on a set. There's no oh, reason. Oh, it's the best, dude. You know, if you can't draw a storyboard, yeah. lay down that floor plan, figure out where your yes. cameras go, you know, and then you can take it. You know, if you can't draw, next step, find your lens, 
um, figure out what your master shot's going to be and, you know, figure out what the priority shot is, you know, yeah. what's your priority, what's your master, you know, and yeah. uh, uh, it's very simple. If you know, you know, it's like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Yeah. And when you're able to work with me, I can visualize anything. If I can't draw it, you can't shoot it, you know, right. that's the way it works. And so I can also give you options and I can give you recommendations, but most of the young punks I work with, I always tell them, I'll argue with you once and that's it. <laughs> um, well, you know, I'll give you one argument on it and then you play through your own mistakes. But I can tell mm. you from experience mm. um, that what is likely to work and what is not likely to work, you know, and where you should start to make your day. You know, like I deal with occasionally I deal with kids right out of college and, and I go through their script and um, I said, well, you got a lot of effects here. And you, you might want to do that first because that's going to eat up all your time, you know? Yeah. And all of a sudden, when you, you get out there and you start shooting a movie, and I've done two of them and a lot of commercials, director, and uh, all of a sudden, your time, people always tell you, you know, time is money. Well, when you're on a movie set, it's like fire paper. It just burns faster. Oh, so burns you want to make so sure you, you get out there and, and get that stuff, get your hard stuff done. You know, uh, shoot your shoot your people that are like your most attractive people. Get them done in the morning so they won't start looking bad in the afternoon. Mm. And um, there's all sorts of practical experience. And um, young kids, I can tell them more in 15 or 20 minutes, and they'll learn in four years in college. Honestly, but only because I've been doing it. It's not yeah. It's not bragging if you can do it. it really, oh, exactly. Um, well, you know what the funny thing too, man, I remember the, the producer that I was working with, um, on the project you were, you, you and I were working together on, he, there was resistance. They're like, well, you can go ahead and do it, but you probably won't use the storyboards anyways. And I'm like, well, fuck that. That's the first indication that I'm not working with you as a producer then, because, um, I really do believe that it saves so much time to make it on paper and know every single shot have every single um, department head be on the same page immediately to know, okay, you walk on set and you're like, okay, we're shooting 11 shots today and we're starting here. Everyone has the shots and they can work through them and there's no mystery. And I, the argument what, to me is uh, you save so much money and time by working out all the problems before anyone else sets foot on the set, right? Well, that's what you can do. You can do that. And people don't think, you know, so many people before I, I can't even, there's so many of them. When we start, before we start working, now, you know, I have a couple of meetings with them or something, you know, and, and they'll say, I don't understand how you're going to solve all these problems in one little room. And I said, well, you will, when you sit down with me, I'll make it very, very convenient so you can see how it happens, you know, because that's what you're paying me to do. And, um, and I said, I can tell you this, and I still stand by this. There's been a lot of people who trash storyboards, like you're saying. They don't use them. But every last Cohen brother that they have made and everyone I've worked with them has been done exactly the way I tell people. You know, everybody has their own way of doing things, but the standards and fundamentals are all the same. It just all kind of depends on the artist, you know, uh, how well they draw or whether they draw. Um, but everything's still one thing. It's fundamentals. 
And I can tell them that if you don't think that this is going to work, check out all these movies because we storyboarded every frame of them, not just the action scenes like most people do or the effect scenes. Every frame of those movies was every storyboarded. I was frame. in the room with those guys, just the three of us. Sometimes the, the, the DP would be in there. And that, there was not much said with the DP. Those guys set all the shots, and I made them so you could understand them because I, I translated them into drawings. And what you're doing is when you storyboard, you're making that movie. And once yeah. it's storyboarded, it's been made once. It's uh. been made once. It's shot once. Yeah. And then all you have to do is go out and shoot it. You got a guide. I'm not saying when you storyboard, you do everything exactly what the storyboard is. It gives you room to improvise correctly. Yes. A storyboard. Not go out and improvise all day and get yourself into trouble and you can't get out of it because, you know, you've run out of daylight or the actor's fed up and you're trying some experimental thing, which I've, all, I've been down all those highways as a director. And when it does, it gives you a plan that you can fall back on. There was one movie I worked on uh, a few years back and um, when the star arrived, who I'm not going to mention, um, he became um, adamant that he wanted to do everything his way because the director was a first-time director. And then the DP was an experienced DP, but he was calling the shots, you know, on this thing. And they were wearing me out, man. And But I just kind of went into um, the position of mastering up and making sure you get your coverage. Cause that's what you really want to do if you can't do anything else is make sure you get your coverage and prioritize it. I've been out on shoots where they go to uh, shoot stuff and they didn't follow storyboards and they came back without any reactions or any, any, uh, any um, other side of the fence stuff, you know? Um, but this guy, this actor, big shot actor took over and he um, emasculated everybody that was going to be in his way. And he told me to go sit on a chair like I was on a dunce box or something, you know. And sure enough, you know, they still kept me on. And I would come in every day and I'd see it would take their first shot would be <laughs> their first shot's supposed to be about 90 minutes. That's how long it's supposed to take for you yep. to get about 90 minutes. That's a good formula right there. But if you spend two and three hours and push it right up to lunch, you're not going to get anything done. And sure enough, on the back end, you're going to see shaky cameras stuff at the end of the day because, you know, they – took all the time on the wrong stuff. Um, but they got done with that. And, and I, I watched them, you know, my own eyes. I went and looked at the footage because it wanted me to look at stuff. Or for some reason, they kept me. And what I noticed was they inadvertently went back to the storyboards without looking at them because these were fundamental boards. And I thought, you guys have more brains than you got money, you know, and you're not using it. It's all sitting on a table here. And, um, but that's what I'm saying is that, it's just good old fashioned planning. You plan so you can take care of weather problems and stuff like that on the yeah. set. You, you mm -hmm. plan everything that you can do because you should be able to take your cell phone and pop all those storyboards and put it in an editing program and it should work pretty good. And I've yeah, seen an that. animatic. Yeah, a really, a really, really, really dog-eared animatic. But those shots, if you do them, you'll see them cut together. You know, like on this yeah. movie I did, um, it was the, the dictator, Sasha Baron Cohen, and they shot all my boards into a really terrible looking animatic because my drawings didn't look good all blown up. Um, but it worked. It cut together. Mm -hmm. On um, uh, the, the Mothman Prophecies, 
you know, um, man, we made a model and I drew all those things and, uh, I actually did a little cheap ass animatic on that and it worked. It cut together. Mm. I couldn't believe when I got back to LA, I was looking at it and I thought, wow, this is amazing. This stuff cuts together. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe it myself. I thought, I can't believe all these drawings that I did in the middle of the cold winter on car hoods actually cut together. It actually worked. <laughs> yeah, dude. But it's funny because a lot of the productions that I've directed since I've met with you, everybody on set is like blown away that we actually got every single shot done that we planned for that day. And we wrapped exactly on time and there was zero time wasted going, Oh wait, maybe we should do this instead. Or wait, let's move the camera over here and get this. It's like, it was, it's so efficient. And, uh, dude, I, you changed my life. You, you literally changed my life, man. Well, I appreciate that, you know, because, if you're going to spend this kind of time and energy doing something, you may as well do the best you can. And that's yeah. one of the ways we did it is we storyboarded. And I got results immediately when I was a young guy in college. I got results immediately when I did it. And, um, you know, it's work. You want results. That's the way it happens. You know, it's not a hobby. It's not no. a fun time. You're there to entertain people. That's your job. Yes. And your audience is supposed to respond to this stuff and react yes. at it. And, uh, you know, you're not there to, to tell everybody what a great artist you are. You're there to do your job and get results. That's what you're yeah. there for. And they're paying you money. You know, yes. um, that's why you're supposed to do this good work. You know, they don't care about your hobbies. You know, you know mm -hmm. that's the stuff you make mistakes on all the time. You don't care, but um, you're not supposed to make the same mistake over and over again. You know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, what's the point? Like, well, we kind of fucked that production up over again, but we're not going to change our method or our process. Let's you're try it again and mistakes, see if it works. Man, you're supposed to make yeah. new mistakes. That's what you're yeah. supposed to do. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, man. So, no, I'm actually curious, dude. I still am trying to get to the inception of your relationship with the brothers because you kind of did you seek them out or like yes how, i did how? i found them if you buy my book and i'm not using this as a ploy um storyboards by jtonanderson.com if you go there i got the the whole book of how we shot the big lebowski every frame is in there uh, and mm. i'll show you how we do all our movies or mm. those guys you know i'm just an artist sure. anyway yeah. because i'd seen blood simple and i was working in the made for tv movie i did two of those things when I went out west after college, um, and uh, I was flirting with a girl that was in the accounting department, and she told me she couldn't go on a date with me because she was going to um, Arizona. I said, "Why are you going to Arizona?" She says, "I gotta work for those Cohen boys, you know, because um, Barbara Ann Stein was the auditor, and I can't remember what that girl's name was, but I was smitten with her for about fifteen minutes." And, um, and I, you know, I told casually told my friend, Roger Belk, who was a set. He was, a, uh, he worked on the set, you know, he didn't, he wasn't a decorator, but he was an art guy on the set and, um, set dresser. That's what he was. And he had done a lot of movies. He was a little bit older than me and he found out and he said, let's go, man, let's go. I said, well, well you know, and I was scared cause I didn't have any money. He goes, well, we'll take my dad's credit card and we'll go do this. And, uh, so we drove all the way to Texas, and um, um, when we finally 
we were in Texas, excuse me, when we finally got into Arizona, we walked in there and uh, they had tried to talk us into not coming, you know, the production manager. And she says, don't even come because we got to use locals. And I didn't know what that meant back then, but we did, we arrived and um, they said, well, you, you wasted your time because Joel and Ethan aren't here, you know, and, but Jane Muskie was a production designer. He's very famous now. She saw Roger and she says, come here. I want to talk to you. And she hired, she didn't hire him on the spot, but she was going to get back to him. And, um, and then I was out of luck because they said that, you know, those guys weren't there. They were in New York casting. And, um, so I kind of went back out to the truck and, um, um, Jane comes out and we kind of deliberated for about 15 minutes and I always tell people it's that 15 minutes that changed my life <laughs> because we didn't go anywhere. We were sitting there talking about what we were going to do. And Jane came out about 15 minutes later and she, she was looking around and we waved at her and she goes, are you the two guys that just came in here? And we said, yes, we are. She goes, well, uh, which one of you guys? Oh yeah. Well, I interviewed you. You must be that storyboard guy. And I had never storyboarded a movie. I just did college stuff. And she goes, I would like to talk to you. Come on in. So she comes, he brings me in the office and there's Joel. And Joel says, um, so you're the storyboarder, so. And, um, and I go in and I draw a scene for him. It's where Nick is reaching for the baby under the bed in Raising Arizona. He goes, oh, this looks pretty good. This looks pretty good. This is pretty good. He goes, oh, you know, that's looked pretty good. And then they just sent us out the door. Back then, you know, you didn't have cell phones or anything. This is the 80s. You had pay phones and um, pagers. Um, we had those. And we didn't know what to do. No. So Jane again comes out and rescues my sorry ass. And she says, um, listen, I'm moving to Carefree, closer to the studio. Why don't you fellows take my apartment until we figure out what we're going to do with you? You know, true. So she gave us her apartment. And... Um, the production manager did not like that. You know, we were goofing off. We were just calling every day, and she left some food in the fridge. It was great. And um, we were there in, in you know, in Tempe, Arizona, and it was beautiful. We had, it was a holiday. I remember we, you know, festivals to go to, and we'd come back and watch television and drink stuff and then wait and call. And we had a key to uh, where the swimming pool was, and, uh, workout shack and there were showers in there and um, it was really nice. It was called the sand pebbles. That's where we were. It was an apartment complex and Joel and Ethan were in that complex. We just didn't know it. We, when the production manager found out we were in there, she promptly threw us out. She goes, Jim Jacks, Jimmy Jacks is gone now, but he was a producer back then. And, and um, so Jimmy Jacks is coming in and he's got to have this apartment. He's the executive producer. You boys, I told you, I told you we did you know, just, you know, man, we just beat it out the door. We didn't know what to do. So um, Roger and I, we kept our key to the, uh, to the health spa that was there on the premise. And um, we went out in his pickup truck and camped out in the desert. We didn't have any place to go. We were out of money. We had about 50 bucks. We went and bought some groceries and put it over the campfire. And, and every day we would, we would come back and um, uh, go to the facility with the swimming pool. And we'd shower. And, um, and we, we had a bunch of quarters. And we'd just call the office. Hey, we got our jobs. No, stop calling us. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this went on for a couple of days. And um, 
you know, one day it snowed in the desert, which is really rare. And when we were out driving around trying to get food, I had flirted with this girl who just had just beautiful eyes and she was just really charming. And, um, and, uh, she, we became friends, you know, Roger and I and this girl. And every day we'd go over there and she'd give us free bread and coffee. It was good bread too. Whoa. And we'd smell it, drive around. Oh, we'd go crazy because we couldn't afford anything. We'd eat our bread and coffee and flirt with her and have a good time and go back <laughs> to our facility and shower and, and call on the phone. And then we go out in the desert and sleep in the truck. You know, we had uh, a campfire and we, one night we, you know, it's in, in the book, Ethan wrote it in the book. It's far more interesting the way Ethan writes it. Um, but we went and got some um, Mrs. Paul's or those fish sticks, you know, it's, I can't remember what they were. They were fish sticks. You know, frozen fish sticks and we went and got some wood in the desert and we put it over the fire and we put these fish sticks on there and cooked them and man the next day we were kind of sick and man those fish sticks they tasted funny you know and um, we found out that the wood we got had lead paint on it it was from there was an, a, a former atomic facility where they set off bombs what? <laughs> come on man is this real <laughs> it's all real and we this is in the daylight we could see all this we we noticed that the paint was lit you know and we thought oh, shit, die, you know and um and this went on for days man and roger and i were getting on our nerves you know because we were together so much he's really a great guy he's down in the carolinas now he's a fantastic artist he's a fantastic set dresser and uh, and um we finally we called we were out laying in the sun waiting you know, waiting for the axe to fall, I guess. And uh, we called one day, and we never had a shortage of quarters. I don't know how we did that. But uh, uh, they said, well, yeah, we've been looking all over for you. Where you been? You know, and we got our jobs. And that's how I got raised in Arizona. And I knew when I got that script that it was going to be just a wonderful movie. It was just mm. it set the baby on the hood of the car, on the top of the car, I thought – this is my kind of stuff. And um, yeah, it was very fortunate because I knew that movie is just going to be great. And it was going to, but it opened so many doors for my life and my career. Plus they hired me back on, on everything from that moment forward. That was 30 years ago. And you, you know, you can't do that kind of crystal ball work in Hollywood. You just can't. No way. No way. And I was so fortunate that they kept me on and we made such great movies because people still talk to me about it, you know? Um, so good, man. They still say, oh, yeah, you made, I saw your name. In fact, it's amazing what people see because Homefront's on right now, and they run those credits so quick. <laughs> I don't know. But people will see my name on there, you know, and they still track yeah. me down. And, totally. Uh, hey, I saw your name on there. I thought, how? Do you have, like, laser-scopic vision, or did you, you know, how do you even see it to stop? You know? Well, I wonder if it has something to do with people who have the right sense of the way a movie is paced sequence-wise. They're like, okay, someone had to have really storyboarded this thing out to the nth degree. Who was it? Do you think it was that? No, I just think that they just recognize my name from the movies I've done. Who hmm. knows? It's so subjective. Um you know, most of the time when you see effects scenes, and plus they previs these things like you can't believe. A good previs, like Shane Bike, my friend, he did Iron Man 3, and he showed me the previses from that, and that was a while back. Those are better than our Saturday morning cartoons when I grew up. They're so Whoa. good. The wow. sound mixes, and, and, and Shane said they just went out and shot the previs, you know? Mm. Um, and Shane worked some, with some pretty heavy-hitting guys. 
movies. You know, I was lucky mm. to work with him for a couple movies. And, uh, um, but I'm not kidding you. Nowadays, they'll spend more on a previs than you'll probably spend on your little movie, you know? Yeah. And, and it's because it's Marvel and it's, you know, Out it's probably going to pay off because they, they have, you know, a, they have a, a following, you know? And, you know, yeah. uh, you're not really going to get success in your work um, on a long basis, unless you have some sort of following, you know, um, mm -hmm. if you have your own audience, you can pretty much do what you want in Hollywood. You know, if yeah. you're proven to make money on your own audience, because it's like Ben Bernolds told me years ago, it's, it's very simple, J. Todd. All you have to do is have something we want and we'll work with you. And that's the way it is. You know, you mm -hmm. have to have something they want. If, mm -hmm. if you have nothing they want, then you have to spend your life proving it to them that you have something you want. And then even when you have something, if the movie goes down pretty hard, you're going to have a hard time getting back up on that log and rolling it again, you know? Yeah. Uh, like I did two movies, and I haven't made a movie in a long time, but I've drawn a lot of movies. It made me a better artist. Um, but um, it's, it's just one of the hardest businesses, like William Goldman says in his book, you know, nobody knows anything about it. If they hmm. do, then stay away from them, you know, because... <laughs> I love that. The last guy you want to be around is somebody that knows all about making movies, you know? It's, uh, That's everything hilarious. Everything changes so frequently, you know? Yeah, Everyone man. Does, so. I'm actually interested how um, you and the brothers and anyone else you work with, um, you spend all this time storyboarding everything out, making the whole film on paper. Um, how in general are do actors react to you already having everything blocked out all the shots are set do the do, do actors ever feel like wait this is limiting i want to be able to explore oh yeah that's happened whatever yeah we're not making fan belts here so it's gonna happen you know um but generally um a good actor a good trained actor in movies and stage will really respect the planning that you have because then it, when you get on set, it frees up more time for them to work with the director. The director's not out chasing rabbits down holes, you know? Yes. Um, Love they're that. there for them. You know, like I never saw any time where Joel and Ethan had left their little seats, their little area to go pursue other problems. Yeah. The actors knew that they were there all the time. And I remember one actor, I can't remember his name now, but um, we had, this had been the second time they had worked with him. And I was at lunch one time and he came over and he says, Jaytan, I have to ask you something. And um, he was in a serious man and uh, he had this beautiful voice. He's a famous uh, voiceover actor. And I, gosh, darn, I can't remember his name. And it's been a while. And he sat down and, and I could tell <laughs> he, he wanted to ask me something, you know. And uh, he was, told this, they never talk to me. They never say anything. I said, mm. that's good, man. That's really good. Because, you know, they don't really talk to a lot of people because we're, we're prepped. And you saw everything. And you know what to do. If you lay it down they're not going to say much to you, you know, and that's a good thing, you know, because yeah. uh, I had to have more than one person come to me. I'm really worried. They don't say much. They don't say much. And I said, that's a good thing, you know, and um, it's because they have prepped this thing, but you know what? 
they were always there for those actors. They didn't scream and yell at them from the video village. They walked out and they talked to them and they whispered in their ear and both of them would talk to them. And um, I had never really seen that change. If they didn't have anything to say to them, they were doing fine. But, you know, I wasn't on the set all the time. I was pre-production. But I can just tell you good prep will start showing up early. You know, you will be established Mm-hmm. And you'll be on top of every problem you have to deal with if you prep yeah. it well. Um, it well, is yeah. a movie. I understand that. But you still sure. can make huge inroads by doing that stuff. Well, yeah, because what you're doing is you're eliminating as many possible variables as you possibly can that could waste time or go wrong because the sequence or the shot didn't play out the way you thought in that space. And it gives the act, the director that much more space energy and presence to just be with the actors and not well, it does. About it's all valuable the time shit. man and um you know it's very uh, it just starts out in a big wide general circle and it moves its way into um momentum and there it is i'm sure there's hardly any scientists that have ever broke momentum down into um you know scientific kind of figures but momentum is true it's real once you Mm -hmm. achieve your momentum you gotta stay on it you know because that's Mm -hmm. that's when all of a sudden things start happening um i've seen more than one huge shot set up and by the time you get the third or fourth take it starts coming into place because you've already figured it out and it's really astonishing what happens when you believe in momentum and dial it in you do it you know, with real good um, perspective, you know, scale is everything. It really is. And once you establish your scale, you got to hang on to it and not let it get out of hand. That's where most people make a lot of mistakes is they, they, once they start seeing results real quick, they expand their scale and you don't really want to do that. You want to keep your scale intact all the time. Yeah. And then your pacing will come out. Cause I've never seen it yet uh, that it doesn't surprise me. Joel and Ethan will sit down with that book and go through it. And all of a sudden, I can see the pacing in that movie, you know? Mm. And it takes me about as long to draw it as it takes for them to shoot it, which is astonishing. And I have not. I can't figure it out. I try not to think about it too much because that's analyzing it, and you don't want to analyze art, you know? You want to – I've just never seen anything like it. It's always the same thing. When we made their movies, um, when they turned the pages in the book, it, the pacing was there. I saw it. You know, yep. Unbelievable. But that's what happens when you've established your planning properly. Yes. When you establish that stuff, you'll start finding selected detail that you never would have found, you know, because that's what art is, is selected detail, you know. And that's, it's like sending a dachshund into a woodpile and all the little animals come out, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Proper planning prevents piss poor performance. Well, certainly does help, you know. Um, uh-huh. It is focus and a lot of other things, but um, I don't care what anybody says. You can plan a movie. You can't. It's not the way they plan it, but we've mm-hmm. always planned them differently, and uh, mm-hmm. it works. Anybody wants to contest with me, step right on up here, pal. I got plenty of evidence that it works. Michael yeah. Chapman, screw you. you know? Yeah. Um, you he said in his interview, oh, well, you know, we storyboarded, and Michael, or, uh, uh, we storyboarded uh, Raging Bull. But that's different. I thought, yeah, well, look at Raging Bull. You know, Thelma Schumacher's God. I know that. 
and Scorsese's really great, but Scorsese knew enough to storyboard that. I don't care what Chapman says, you know, um, I don't think storyboarding is for everybody, but I think it's for a lot of people. And we proved it through the years. We continued where Hitchcock kind of left off and um, we, and we went in different directions sometimes, but it worked. Um, It worked. And I was very lucky to be a part of that. I was at the right place at the right time because I, it wasn't luck. I shouldn't say, but uh, I'm sure a little bit in there. I don't really believe in luck, but I do believe in pursuing what you want. And if it's your passion, then you got to go get it. Yeah. No, I love it. Um, I actually, this morning, I watched your number one movie on your list of per- perfect movies. Uh, it's not ranked. It's not ranked. It okay. just had to be the one we did first, okay? Don't okay. listen to him, audience. It's not ranked. <laughs> it's not ranked. It's not ranked. But it's probably not on your list because I didn't even look on your list. <laughs> well, we have it on our list. And our list is top secret. You know? okay, do you want me to tell you what I watched this morning? Sure. And I agree with you. I watched Duel. Duel's a great movie, man. It's Spielberg before Spielberg was Spielberg, man. It was, it's great, you know. I showed yeah, it to a bunch it. of people when I was out in Hollywood. We went over to Anthony Bagarosi's, and we, were, we always watch movies at his place. And a bunch of punk kids were in there from Macbeth. I said, watch this movie. This is like how you make a movie. Dude, <laughs> it's it, it, Little it, Jaws. That's what we call it. Little Jaws, you know? Yeah. Well, it's really perfect because, like, if you even study the shot sequencing, it only shows what's absolutely necessary, and it uses visuals before words. Like, it was valiant versus flammable. <laughs> there you go. You know, that truck never blows up. The truck never blows up, too. Never blows up, man. Because if it blew side. up, if it blew up, then that like kind of foreshadowing would almost be too mm-hmm. on the nose. Well, they blew up the shark. You know, he went out in pieces. You know, and Clint blew him up. Um, I could never figure out why. If I ever meet Spielberg, I worked for him. I never made, met him. Um, I did stuff in Men in Black that he critiqued and everything. And, uh, uh, but if I ever see him, I'm going to ask him, why did he blow up the truck, man? I agree with his choice not to blow it up. Well, I you don't, don't know. You don't agree? Not whether I agree or not. I just want to know why, you know? It's, um, I'm not a film critic, man. I, it's fine. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to blow it up, that's fine. I just want to know why you didn't blow it up. That's all, you know? Um, uh, you know, I say, was, yeah. I, I hope I go down in history saying this because i want to be, have this credit okay okay this is what i want is one of my credits okay like, you're, right brothers you figured out how to fly that's what they wanted credit for is they figured it out i yeah. there are only two only two villains in cinema mm. everything else is also rams mm. and the only reason one of these is a villain is because cinema is not that old it's only like 100 years old you know a little bit over um but the other one is always going to be one of the greatest villains in cinema history. Always. And you can rely on it. There's only two. One is Nazis. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because yep. anytime they show up, you can pin evil on them. The measure of evil shows up in Hugo Boss costumes. Almost always. I mean, not Hugo Boss costumes, but the, the, the uniforms he designed for the SS and stuff like that. That's my understanding is that Hugo Boss designed those beautiful black uniforms. But they instantly 
say evil. Darth Vader. Yep, it's all there, man. The Nazis were the purveyor of evil before, right before the war and after the war. They are the measure of evil, you know. Now, the second one is one that's a little bit, you know, more pandemic. It's called Gravity. How many movies end up falling over a hill, falling off a precipice, jumping off uh, buildings? You know, they are easy pickings. Gravity mm, is the law. It's the law. It so also good. makes a really good villain. Anytime you need to punish, win, uh, just about any way you want to end your film on your own terms, gravity is the go-to uh, element almost every time. And if you don't believe me, look at all the movies that end by people falling off of, uh, you know, 20 feet up. You know, there are more, there are more accidents in this country on ladders than anything else I heard. Uh. <laughs> and That's look, fascinating, look at the consequences from a ladder accident, man. True. <laughs> Like in December, they have more people falling off their roofs than any time of the year because it puts up Christmas lights. Jeez, Christmas lights. Yeah. Now, think Fire of what Chris you can Wall. do with that. You know, mm. all you have to do is show a shot how far down it is, and you got your ending right there. Man. There it is. So you got good, Nazis man. and Gravity. There are other ones are honorable mentions, but I do believe in cinema and movies, sometimes television. Um, uh, Nazis and gravity, and I want to go down. I want, I, for the record, I am the guy that's saying that. You know, I, I, right. I want somebody to come in there and cherry pick what I'm saying right now. I want to officially, for the record, I've said this. You know, officially for the record, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone out there, um, th there that is uh, Jay Todd's like uh, official credit that <laughs> the only two are the t the primary two. <laughs> Villains in any cinema all comes down to Nazis or gravity. J. Todd Anderson. You can't go wrong with Nazis and gravity. And you know what Hitchcock said? A picture yes. is only as good as its good villain. Good as its villain, yeah. Mm -hmm. Our hero, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. I, seriously, Alfred, it started with Hitchcock for me. It did for I, me. A lot of people, me too. Uh, he's dude, great. I, I can't keep my eyes off the screen whenever yes. he does anything. You know, yes. I'll try to work on my computer and watch it. Can't. I got to fold up the computer and watch the movie, you yes. know, or my phone. I just can't. I, I have to call you back later. I'm watching a movie. Yeah, right. Totally. <laughs> it's but his cock, man. It, it's the storyboards. Well, he, he certainly did it. He took it to another level. But he was also a good silent movie director, mm. which gives you visual chops like you would never believe. If you don't believe me, look at John Ford's stuff. It's, mm. it's been Anthony Mann and uh, Fritz Lang. Those guys, they knew about silent movies, man. They were good directors because they knew how to take that image, mm. where the weight of the image was and how to move it up or mm -hmm. down, depending on, or left or right. They knew about that in silent movies. If you, you watch those silent movies, man, you'll learn a horde of knowledge. Um, mm -hmm. Buster Keaton, watch that stuff, man. He's so good. Um, you notice most of that stuff shot in wide shots too. So that, you know. Oh, I love that. There's a professor in Carolina. His, his name is Michael Miller. He's an editor. He's one of the best editors there ever was. He's a friend of mine. He did the early Cohen stuff. And he was, I was speaking at his college last year and um, it was Carolina. 
College of the Arts or something, but he had they have a little movie studio down there. It's really great. And he told me, he said that most kids don't shoot wide shots anymore because they're on their cell phones. And I think that's really weird, you know? It's weird. You can't, he says, I can't really get them to, I can't talk out of context here. This is just something he shared with me. And I'm talking about the fundamentals of the cinema. Uh, but I thought that was a fascinating comment that because we're on our cell phones all the time, the wide shot has been kind of thrown down the stairs and out the door, you know? Um, interesting comment. It's a very general comic on, right. comment, almost assumption, but uh, it is a general comment. It makes sense to me, you know? Yeah. Well, honestly, I think it's the um, minimalism of what can be covered in a wide shot. Um, that really fascinates me. I mean, dude, you watch some really long time-honored shots when Ooh, you see baby, the there's not many time-honored shots anymore. Way in the distance, and you just have, the, the director has the confidence to let it play, even though I can't even see their facial expressions, but you can just, like, feel the gravity of the chemistry and the energy. I love that stuff. I love what a wide shot can accomplish. And it makes your uh, your shooting days move a little faster, you know. Well, when... you know, that's what the studio system used to integrate in there, everything. They insisted on you shooting a wide shot first and then matching everything afterwards. And that was so that they could put your stuff back together if they fired right. you. Now, like, it was, there's, a, there's a lot of written about Rebecca and Hitchcock not getting along with the studio because they couldn't put his stuff together the way they wanted what? to. What? Well, Wait. it had to go together the way Hitchcock shot it. Yeah, like he shot it to go together one way. Only, only one way. And the studio did not like that. The studio wants to be able to come in at that time, maybe so much. I'm sure that's still around to a certain extent, where they say, uh, we have to be able to put this together. Because so many movies are made in editing, you know? Yeah. And, the, and Joel and Ethan always had the luxury of final, you know, they, they have final cut. They do it exactly the way they want. But there's not too many people can do that. They think they can do that. And I can understand the studio's point of view on that with a lot of people because you get a lot of first-time writers in there. You know, like, when I hook up with a director, it could be my third or fourth movie in a year. And that's the only movie they've had in three years, you know? Right. So because I've been at it a long time, I know a few things. I'm not saying they're right. But the studio is guarding their investment. They want to be able, if this, if this director fails, they want to be able to put it together themselves. Um, it's a two-edged sword, you know, the way you look mm -hmm. at it. Um, and, you know, naturally, the really skilled individuals will put it together the way they want to put it together. Um, and, you know, like M. Night Shyamalan, he does it the way he wants it. And he doesn't, he stays out of high. I know his storyboard artist very well. His name's Greg Mason. And we're pals. We're the oldest guys in the business now. Um, and, and you can see M. Knight puts it together the way he wants it. But he's skilled. He's proven. Mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's more than a commodity, man. He's, yeah. you know, he's, he's it. He's, he's the director. He's a, and he's a really good director, too. Man. Does M. Knight um, and the, um, the Coens, for that matter, did they, um, because they've got Final Cut, do they already um, have the storyboards in their mind of what, you know, how it, how it is, and it's just kind of the blueprint for them? Or do they discover other things? That's like, oh, they do. Man, this would have been when you start doing it, all of a sudden you start discovering things, you know? Yeah. Like, um, you really, you know, in the script it might say there's a sword by the wall. 
and then they'll change that out. You know, this is not working. Now we got our eyes on an image, you know. Mm. Scorsese will – Martin Scorsese, he has the best um, comments on the image, you know. He really understands an image, and, uh, and so don't they. Uh, but here's the thing. When it's on paper, it's, it's, intel- it's, it's going to be intelligent no matter what, you know. Yes. It's always going to be intelligent on paper. But when you draw it one time, it's existential. It becomes a picture. Mm, and uh, then you take it from there. Instead of taking your script and going straight to the set and say, sure, tell us, you draw it first and say, oh, so that's what you want. Yeah. Oh, you want to go left to right. Oh, so this is slightly higher than I envisioned it. Well, that's because mm-hmm. we drew it. You can tell. Do mm-hmm. you really want it this high? That's what it says on the drawing. Draw it. You know? Uh, I mean, shoot it. Um, you know, and so many times, those guys that get everything all worked out on paper that, you know, Roger could really concentrate on doing a great job on lighting because it was already, you know, those guys called out their own setups. They did their own. And um, a lot of people don't understand that there are directors that will call out a setup and say how it should be. There's a lot of famous directors. But most of the time, it doesn't happen that way. The DP will take over and say, yes, this will match. Um, But I'm talking in generalities right now. I can only tell you what I know and what I saw. Um, Yeah. And, and, and that's not, um, in no way is that inflated in any way, shape, or form. This is what I remember experiencing, you know. Yeah. Um, I remember something you said to me once when we were working together. I, I remember you were uh, drawing a, a shot we were talking to, and I questioned something. And like, stop. I know I'm right. I know I'm right, so don't question what I'm doing because um, it will throw me off. The brothers do that to me sometimes, and I just have to tell them to stop because I know I'm right, and I always am. Well, um, I'd say high percentage of the times I'm right. Because generally, when I'm working with them, I'm working with what they want, and I've already discovered what they really want before they get to it. Ah, yes. And it's, believe me, it's not my intuition. It's, I've dialed into them as artists, and I kind of know where they're going before they know where they're going. But see, the whole purveyor of the truth is the drawing, you know? And I say, well, let me draw it. And if it's not right, you guys, and then they'll noodle over it. And sometimes they'll throw it out. But most times they kept it, I remember. But it, you got to remember, that's not my idea. It's their idea. Sure. I was just assembling it, you know? I'm mm-hmm. just an interpreter. That's all yeah. I am, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, at least the way that I process things. You're breaking up, buddy. Your sound's breaking up. Should cut to a art card of the Martians attacking or something, you know. Much better. Okay, sweet. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, but usually like a director who understands the pacing and what they want to accomplish in the scene seems like most of the time the Coens will probably come to you and be like, "Okay, I want to open on a wide and I want to push in slowly as we're revealing." I didn't say this. that. You know, it's pretty general stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But they'll say, you know, generally they, they plant a seed, you know, beforehand, you know. Hmm. Think Kubrick, J. Todd. Think Kubrick. Or, Amazing. You know, you know, they give me little examples. But I see most of the stuff. And uh, and that's a tone. I'm a tone hound, man. And that's what I do. I go in there and try to find the tone of the picture before I draw it. Yeah, and I do. When I get that tone established, sometimes it takes 
about 80 pages to figure out what the tone is. And I mean, I remember discussing this with you, um, finding out what the tone of your movie is. And it's very important if you have a clue on what your tone is before you shoot it, because really getting yourself some character and stuff like that um, mm -hmm. to go along with what you're doing. Um, Super important. Yeah, yeah. Tone reveals character. Boom, just like that. Um, For sure. Um, actually, going back to Duel, I saw I saw No Country all over that movie. I'm sure of the influence. We didn't talk much about that movie, but I can tell you this: if you watch Duel, the best thing you can do is get the one that has the special features. Mm. Spielberg's on there talking about how he made a big truck go really fast, mm. and those are uh, those are fundamental tools that you should always keep in your bag. Mm. Is how he. And he said he learned it in there from his DP because they had a big semi truck. Um, I was dealing with these kids. They were going to make this movie with these big um, land movers and stuff like that. You know, like you see them on the road, you know, but they, anything, but they'd hook them up together and have pull offs, you know, and um, that was their movie. Uh, it was on an Indian reservation. And um, I never got very far into their project, but I could tell them this. You're going to be out in that hot sun trying to make these things look like they're moving fast, and you're going to have a hard time. You're going to be cutting to accelerators and speedometers and low shots of them gritting their teeth. And I said, but you've got something as big as a house that's got to go fast and portray drama. And I said, go watch the Spielberg thing. Because to this day, I don't know of any best instruction on how to do that than on Duel. And Spielberg tells you all how it's done. He tells you everything, you know. Tells you how it's done. It's amazing how he does it. Picket fences, low angles. That truck never slows down in that movie. But that's why they have 32 gears. It takes them forever to get up to 60 miles an hour, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, that is such a valuable teaching tool on that movie. When you watch the movie, and then if you're inspired by it, go back and look at his little thing. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating um, when something is executed um, well cinematically. It can come down to a simple plot line of will the uh, guy in the truck um, catch the guy in the red car? It's like... <laughs> well, you know, the one we just viewed a couple months ago um, was a re-edited version of um, Duel, and it was a little longer. Hmm. It took a lot of the stink out of that movie. It wasn't as good, man, yeah. um, because it was just a little bit longer. And I remember walking away from that thing. It, it's, you know, I know when I was seeing stuff as a kid and then I'd see it later, I didn't like it because it was older. Uh, but, you know, that there was something missing in that film. And then Anthony pointed out, Anthony Megarazzi, he's a really great writer there in Hollywood. He pointed out this film is a little longer than it should be. And it really did. It's so, it's the, the difference in a great shot is could be a couple frames on the tail or on the front, oh, yes. you know? Totally. And you got to be able to recognize that. And some bonehead went in there and extended the print. And you know what it was? It was for, um, it was for foreign viewership in Europe. That's uh, what I think it is. So you got to be careful. Don't get the long one. Get the short one, man. Yeah. Because that's the one that's, that, that will just send you over your head thinking, and it's cool how he did it. He storyboarded it, put little spikes in the ground. To me, I mean, I think Jaws is a really good picture, and he's done a lot of great movies, but I still think Jaw, uh, Duel is the rawest form of cinema that he's ever done. And uh, 
because he had a lot riding on Duel. And um, to this day, I can't say enough great things about it. It's just a sensational movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw the hour and 35-minute version, the 95-minute version. I don't know. You have to check out and see which one is which. But um, I would highly advise watch the original one, you know. Yeah, you don't see an, a lot of the guy in the truck, which really makes that premise strong. Oh, yeah. That you don't see him. You, you don't know? see him at all. I didn't the see him The only one I remember when I was a kid was he sticks his hand out. and Yeah, and he's like, out. yeah, go ahead. Move, move, Go ahead, man. You can go ahead and pass me. That's it. You see his arm stick out. That's and if you watch it. Dennis Weaver in Gunsmoke and you watch him again in uh, that Orson Welles picture, um, uh, what is that movie? But he, he plays this creepy kind of guy. And then you see him in this movie. <laughs> um, it's He's just a phenomenal actor, man. Yeah. And he's just tortured just like that red Valiant, you know? And, you know, he always cuts the little Valiant emblem on there because that's a slant yeah. six Valiant, man. Common as crabgrass, innocuous. Because um, I have one of those cards. I had a Buster. But um, uh, it sounds, he even got sound right on it, you know? Incredible. Yeah, it was, it was a really a beautiful. I, I would say that's a perfect movie. I really. It is it. a perfect movie. It's on our list, dude. <laughs> yeah, dude. You're right. Okay, wait. So I need to just so people can look this up. It's perfectmovie.net, right? Yeah, it's perfectmovie.net, and you okay. can watch all 129 episodes. Mm-hmm. Really good. They're all there. Yeah. Until we got until we they kicked us off. They kicked you off. Know? It's still there. Kicked us off. It's still there for everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always brag about you being the guy that um, is the coverage expert. Like whenever someone has a problem, they'll like, didn't Revenant like fly you into Toronto at 3 a.m.? Hey, hey, how my are wife. you? Good to see you, wife. I always love doing these things when I see people in the background doing stuff, you know. Hi. How I are you doing? Your... Good. How are you? I always have heard so much about you. So Nothing but things, I'm sure. Great, great things, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> people nice never run out of things to say about me <laughs> all good i promise <laughs> thank you you've been so i love seeing your house your house is really cool there in hollywood there we I love know. it you should come say hi if you're ever in town well i'm back in hollywood if that ever happens the pandemic thing kind of measured I that all out for me so uh, i chose my mom is 85 so i chose to quarantine here in ohio to make sure you know, it probably would have been fun to quarantine out there, but I got to keep my eye on my mom, you know? So. Yeah, that's a good son. That's, that's Oh, nice. yeah, I keep trying to tell her that. She won't listen to me. <laughs> well, maybe you'll prove it by what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like making a movie. You got to prove yourself, man, yeah. over and over and over and over again. <laughs> For sure. What you want here is lightning in a bottle. But how many times? <laughs> that's my adage of hollywood they want lightning in a bottle every time so yes that's a lot to measure up to (laughs) i think you're doing it though i don't know you only have one life so (laughs) that's the only thing that's going to follow me down the trail is all these movies so So funny well it's so nice to meet you jay todd well i've heard all about you too it's nice to meet you so all good things oh well good well thank you okay well here's ben he only put his hands in his head once when he was talking about it. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> At least he wasn't banging his head against the wall. Hadn't done that yet. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, so nice to meet you. See you later. Okay, bye.
Isn't my wife just the best? <laughs> uh, she sure supports you, man. You, and you know, how can, how can anybody lose when you got a walk on like that on one of your programs, you know? Yeah, dude, she's the best. She's, uh, I can't honestly, she's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, yeah, so what I was going to say real quick, I know I gave you, I said we'd talk an hour, so I don't want to waste any more of your time, but, um. It's all yours, man. I'm not, uh, I have pandemic nothingness, you know. <laughs> pandemic nothingness. No, I, I remember one thing you were saying, you were telling me that, uh, that when The Revenant was making that, the, the they call me in the middle of the night they didn't fly me and oh, I, okay. I worked on the phone with those guys and I okay just gave them a few tips you know okay it was for free so okay well i just kind of always see you as the guy who knows how to cover any scene like that would be like the ultimate challenge is like give j todd any possible scene that you think is impossible to shoot and well, i promise you mind- j todd will show you how to cover it Keep in mind that I'm always looking for the ultimate challenge of a scene. Mm. You know what I mean? I can cover most everything, but I'm still looking for that hard as nails scene that can be covered that nobody else has covered. And that's what mm. I'm looking for. I'm always looking for that challenge. I, mm-hmm. You want? You don't think this can be covered? Bring it to me, and I'll try it because I want that challenge. You know? Okay, so what's the most uh, challenging scene that someone's brought to you, and they're like, "Yeah, we cannot get this." Wow, man, that's a tough question. I had to think about that. It's a lot of movies you're talking about. Okay, just think, just think of like something even you've done with the Coen brothers where it's like um, maybe they temporarily stumped you. Like, okay, we want to accomplish this. What would you do? What, what can we do? Well, the first thing I do is I draw it on a floor plan and figure out which, you know, where they're moving at. And then I draw the azimuth, you know, the, the angle. And then I, I try to figure out what, you know, Mark Pellington, when I worked with him years ago, his, his emphatic ploy was always this, you know, what is the shot? You know, what's the most important thing about the shot? You know, that's detective work because people don't think about that. They just write it and it comes down naturally. And, and you have to ask them, what is, what makes this shot the shot? You know, what is everything else is, is kind of, on the sides and spiraling away. And that's usually the way I attack it. I say, what, what are you trying to say here? What is the most important element of this shot? Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes once I figure out where the, you know, the scale is, then I start there, you know, and, uh, I just work my way out, um, start in the middle, work my way out. Um, and that's the way I do it with a lot of the drawings. I hold it up and I say, is it this wide? Oh, no, that's entirely too wide. And then I'll hold up another drawing. Is it this close? No, that's, that's not close. And then I just work it right down to the middle. Mm-hmm. And then, then I figure out what the middle is, and I work out. And, um, and a lot of my decisions are made that way when I'm drawing. I wish my life was like that. It'd be great. <laughs> then I could solve all my problems by doing that. But um, it's a technique I only use in movies. And, uh, find where the middle is you know where's the center of gravity i guess you know like on a race car where's the center of gravity you know and uh on airplanes gotta have a center of gravity you know yeah. well oddly enough in movies and shots you want to find the center of that shot and what's important because yeah. most of the time if you work from the front to the back it's not going to be balanced for the viewer you know because that shot's got to fit somewhere in the movie and it's got to be balanced you know yes 
you know, you can't even give away too much in their early stuff, but you can do it a lot more pages. And at the end you give away a lot of stuff and less pages, you know? Mm. So it's like, I, I see hearing you talk, there's, I see it has to be driven by three things, probably more, but like you would think efficiency and shooting tension and suspense and uh motivation towards moving the the the, the uh, story forward right i mean well the story's always got to go forward that's the thing about movies that i tell people that nobody really seems to understand is that you never go backwards in a movie even though you're flashbacking you never go backwards you're always like in an airplane unlike a motorcycle where everything's forward all the controls are forward, forward forward that's fast and that's the rest of it's slow on a motorcycle you know and mechanical things but that's a kind of probably a dumb illustration but everything goes forward in a movie always and it's your job to stay in front of the viewer or give them amount of information like hitchcock always said his two elements were surprise and suspense so once you figure that out you know um you can start dialing that into where you where do you want to give it away um and, you know, almost all the good screenplays I've ever read have one thing in common. Everything is established very, very well in the beginning of the movie. So when you get to the third act, you don't have to explain it again. You know, right. it just when somebody says, you know, for instance, you, you, you beat a guy to death with a cane that has a red you know, knob on the top. And at the end, all you have to do is see that cane with a rob knot, red knob for maybe even a fraction of a second. And you're there. So yes. you want to establish everything as best as you can and if you're established then your screenplay will start coming together but if you're not you'll encounter problems usually from second to third act that's where the problems come in and if whenever i pick up one it has 130 pages i'm always scared because i know that that back end is not flushed out most of the time i'm right you know most of the time yeah makes sense yeah, I think even tying back to this whole idea, you know, that this a newer generation of content makers, creators, and filmmakers um, have lost the appreciation and value for a wide shot because they shoot everything on their phones. Um, on their phones, they don't go to the theaters and see stuff on big screens, you know. Yeah, so it's like I I, I kind of see just even the the skills that you're preserving from the golden era of cinema and storyboarding and planning and um, shot sequencing and all that stuff. I think I have a deep desire to kind of make sure that that, that torch is passed, continues to get passed so that this newer generation of filmmakers doesn't forget that. Like, please take, take advantage of this and don't forget this. This stuff will save you on set. This will save you even in the way you write your, your, your script. Like how can this stuff continually be resurrected and preserved for? Well, you got to have an audience for it. And after this yeah. pandemic, if there's no movie theaters left, what are you going to do? You know? Yeah. Um, uh, it's all about history and everything. You know, that's what it is. Um, you got to have an audience, man. You got to know your audience, got to have an audience. And um, I think the pandemic's going to present things that we never dreamed of where people are just going to stay inside, you know, because they're already doing it. Um, 20 years ago, you couldn't do this communication we're doing now. You, know? you really couldn't. Not this kind of, we, we only have one bug, you know. Yeah. But, um, I think everybody's screen, the most important screen in their life is on this phone. That's, yeah. that's it. Um, 
I think everything else is just, Hey, you want to do this? You know? Yeah. Just a minute. Let me check my phone. You know, it's yeah. never be, you know, got to remember in the twenties and thirties, I've been watching movies from 1933, you know, on TCM. Can you imagine that? There was nothing else out except for radio and newspapers. That was it. When you went to a movie, you went to air conditioned comfort for a quarter and you watched this incredible studio mantle called a movie. And it had these incredible actors like Eddie G. Robinson and, and Cagney and Betty Davis. And can you imagine them 60 foot high and you're, you can't get a job and you go in there for a quarter and you watch this, you know, air conditioned comfort. And all of a sudden you're escaped. You know, mm. I'm not so sure that our escape value is going to be around for people to understand the way we understand it with a big screen. Yeah. Um, um, but anything that's really good is going to hang around no matter what. You know? Yeah. If it's ephemeral, it's going to disappear. It just gets swallowed up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but if, if it's got, if it's got some legs and it's going to affect people, like in our, one of our rules is it's still classical. It still has meaning, you know, our four rules of prefer, perfect movie, you know, uh, still has meaning, you know, mm-hmm. the day it came out, it's still like, when we did the earth stood the day the earth stood still, I still have meaning. Still yeah. have incredible meaning. And no matter how mm. many times people try to remake that film, they couldn't capture it. You know? mm. For the record, should we just kind of run through your four? So yeah, I've got go ahead, number, do it. the perfect movie based yes. on your, your criteria. The first one it says creates a world that ex- exists within itself. That's is right. that it's on a scale? And George Willeman is the other guy. It's not just me. Yeah, we decided that you set your scale and you work in it. Um, you create your own world and you work within that little world and you make it, you know, everybody has their own little worlds, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, movies shouldn't, as soon as they start, they should create their own little world. That's why they say at the end, the end, you know. The end. That world is over. The world's over. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and revisit it um and then number two is it wholly sustains that world yes yes that means that no matter from page one to page 120 whatever it is it keeps going forward and gives you more meaning and value in 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 less than two hours than you ever dreamed of and there's plenty of things to think about it sustains it it keeps it intact um it's like looking at a really good picasso painting you know what picasso said he said that you know, you got to learn how to learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist, man. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's all about, you know. Love that. It's really good. Um, okay, number three is uh, – I, I scratched this down. This might not be verbatim, but it's like regardless of changes in society, it retains its value. Yep. Yeah. Is that it? Well, you go back and you watch it over and over and over again. Yeah. You still watch uh, Treasure Sierra Madre, which is a cool movie. Um, um, you still watch it, you know? You know, like some of these movies, they barely were on soundtracks, but DCM has them. So there's a reason for that. Mm. It still must have meaning and value, you know, for somebody in this world. Yeah. Um, like the Beatles. Nobody ever gets tired of listening to Beatles. No way. The same way. But their songs were all different, and they had 10 years to do all this stuff, basically. Um, and I can still sit down and listen to A Day in a Life 50 times. Mm. Same way with movies. 
I can still yeah. watch the day the earth stood still over and over and over again. Never get tired of it. Never get I, tired. I don't care what the production value was, what time period it was. I can still watch Patton over and over and over again because the writing's so good in that movie. And uh, it changes society. Like, for instance, um, what was it I was watching last night? They said strictly because a Hollywood movie um, uh, came out that all of a sudden, like the USS Indianapolis, that was a very big deal in World War II, but it faded away. And then when Jaws came out and Quint talks about it, all of a sudden people were more interested. And every time you watch that movie, Jaws, mm. you're going to get interested in the USS Indianapolis, which happened. Whoa. There it is. There it is. It's like the golden means of culture. You know, that's, you know, these, these things are the golden mean. It's the perfect slice that we continue on in culture, you know. So good. Yeah, and that kind we of have is... lots of arguments with people over this. And then we finally, we, we, get, we have our funnest part is when we say, well, go make your own show. Yeah, right. <laughs> make your own goddamn list. <laughs> said, this turns us on. We love to argue with them for about 20 minutes and... You know, okay, we'll go make our own list. You know, we don't. That's care. amazing. <laughs> yeah. So then that goes into your number four, and it's never placed in a category. It can live in an, in and of itself, right? That's right. Can't be ranked, man. Can't be ranked. Great so, piece of art cannot be ranked above another piece of art. Mm, love that. That goes for the Bible. That goes for anything. It can't mm. be ranked. It is. It cannot be measured. That's when you've achieved. You know. I think the highest plateau possible is when it can't be ranked. It's impossible. Like Michael Curtiz, he directed a lot of movies. Yeah. The French tours could not handle that guy because he directed every kind of movie there ever was. And he directed mm. a bunch of them. I mm. dare anybody out there to look up Michael Curtiz. And I've been watching a lot of his movies. You know, Michael Curtiz can never be ranked as the best film director in the world because there's no way you can measure the guy, you know? Mm. Mm really good so surely i mean good films continue to get made Everyone's yeah don't call me surely surely all right <laughs> leslie nielsen um airplane's a perfect movie it is, is it? would you say airplane's a perfect movie Heck yeah it's a perfect movie mm. it is i know good. i know one funny. Of yeah know. yeah he's a pretty nice guy yeah. um what funny is it who, who is it the uh Zucker Brothers. Zucker Brothers, yeah. Nice. David is the one I think I've met occasionally at parties. You know. yeah. yeah, dude, I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, I don't want to say Hollywood's lost its way, but like where, where, are the, where are the perfect movies these days? I don't know. It's not my problem. I don't ah. Let those guys screw with it. It's not my problem. That's the, as I grow older, those are my favorite words to say. Not, not my, my problem. problem. I'm not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as long as you keep feeding me, paying me money, I'll, I'll keep doing this stuff. And If you want to believe it, it's up to you. you know? yeah. Good answer. That was a good, that was a very uh, um, pragmatic answer, Jay Todd. <laughs> I'm not going to spend time, waste time wondering you know, about these things. It's just, mm-hmm. And I guess still got to work with guys like you and get your movie done. Ah, uh, thank you. I think about that movie occasionally, and I wonder, I'm glad you kind of chime back in because I think you should, it's worthy of getting done. It really is. It's a great movie. 
Thanks, J. Todd. Yeah. Nobody well, makes movies about that stuff. They don't. They don't make they don't. movies about those people. You know? Every once in a while. Every once in a while they'll make one. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. See, guys, that you just made that one. Make mine now. Well, you you know, somehow you just kind of got to steer around the obstacles and, and get it done yourself. You know, it's the only way to do it. You know? Yeah. There's well, only yeah. one tool in your bag that's going to work, and that's persistence. That's it. Yeah. And it's guaranteed to work as long as you're alive, you know? Yeah. So that's the way you do it. It's just that I tell everybody I work with kids that want to make movies. How bad do you want to do it? Yeah. How bad, you know? How bad, if you yeah. If you've worked as hard as I had in the beginning to get in the business, you'll get it, you know? Because I had to work pretty hard. And, um, and I say, hey, persist. If it's your passion, man, go get yeah. it. It doesn't mean it's going to make you happy. But mm. But That's just do, do. do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm convinced. Um, you know, my my Thomas Merton movie originally was six million dollars, but after making a f- few of my own um, personal f- films and you know spending time with you, I think I could storyboard that film and get it made for three and a half million dollars, if not less. Then you should go do it. You know, one beautiful thing about a storyboard is you can gauge costs from it. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times I work with an AD or a production manager, you know, mm. figuring out the cost on a picture from the boards and how much mm. time, you know, because your first element you want to deal with time is money. You want to yeah. figure out how much time it's going to take this because that's the first thing they do when they get get your script and they finance it. Mm-hmm. Is it why isn't it done yet? And they start ripping out pages. That's what. Yeah, right. Yeah, almost every time. And before that, it's this glorious movie. It's going to get made and. And all of a sudden you get a schedule and well, we can't have these scenes. Rip them out, rip them out. Yeah, yeah but right. you had those scenes six weeks ago and totally. everything changes, you know. But that's why I feel like I, I can say, okay, how about this? I'm going to go and I'm going to storyboard out the $3 million version of this. And I'll prove to you that I can make this for $3 million because there are 78 scenes and, you know, hundred setups and i think and i and we'll be able to get this done in 22 days guaranteed yeah that's uh if you can convince somebody that you can do that most people won't believe you you know even looking at the boards well storyboards don't mean much to a lot of people um but if you're a professional and you've been at this Mm -hmm. what you do is you take those storyboards and you turn it into a shooting um board animatic you can, but that'll give you the whole tone of the picture if you do that. My first movie, I made five minutes of it, and um, that kind of sold the picture. And now the second one, you know, I I storyboarded it, but it was only a handful of change, so they don't ever see a lot of light. And then there's one that I want to do soon. Um, I made an animatic on a scene just to show the tone of the picture. So anytime you got something visual, people – really lock on to it. But storyboards are really hard for people to lock on to. They really are. Because the first thing they say is, you mean like a comic book? I mean, you know, it's not like a comic book at all. It really is. That's a different deal. Um, and I, I tire from all the, the comparisons to a comic book because it's not. It's a shooting instructional tool. That's what it is, you know. No matter how funny I make them or interesting or how nicely drawn they are, it's a shooting instructional tool. You know? Yeah blueprint it is a blueprint no different from when you're building something with a blueprint it's drawing start with drawing you know you whether it's on a napkin or a sheet of paper or in a computer you just have to start with a drawing a lot of times to get things done you know mm-hmm. yep 
for me, it's paid the bills. So, you know, I never had to do anything else. I was always, you know, drawing a movie. You know, I think part of what helps is you're a director too, though. Well, certainly, certainly when I first did my first movie and it failed miserably, it did one thing. It, I've been down the road more times than a lot of people have been, and I kind of understood what the problems were. So I became a better artist, um, storyboard artist, uh, because I kind of understood things a little bit better. I've been there and done that, you know. And, uh, you know, you don't have to walk up and say, I've been there and done that. I can accomplish it. You know, you just know what to do when the problems arise and how to avoid them. That's the best part. It told it told me how to avoid problems that I never knew anything about. Mm-hmm. You know, when they got downstream, it's like a writer. You know, the writer never shot anything. Um, they're pretty hard guys to deal with when they're really good writers. Doesn't matter, and they never shot anything. No, nope, never directed traffic. You know, it's, it's tough because it takes you about three movies to to find your footing. You know, and you gotta direct stuff. You know, uh, you gotta direct. You know you direct documentaries, you do anything so you can learn your production basics. And then, mm-hmm. uh, because it's still, no matter what you do, it's, it's about making money. Mm-hmm. You know how you make a $265 million movie, you start with 300 million, you know, that's the whole thing. You, know, you don't want to do that. Time and time for again, uh, throughout the years, the executive producers, if they had made their money somewhere else, like in trailer parks or something, and then they wanted to make movies, they weren't very good at it. But the people like Joel Silver and and those guys made money from movies. Jack Warner's, I never worked, he's beyond my, but Joel I worked with a few times. But you knew he knew what he was talking about because he made his money from movies. He didn't make it from selling cars or, or a huge amount of money from gas exploration. Or, and then they decide they want to make movies because they have a lot of money. Well, it's a skill and a craft at the same time. And it's also somewhere the art comes out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Well, I think that bottom line, I think really what I want to be able to pass on to people, filmmakers out there is to really understand uh, that so much headache and frustration and chaos and stress on a set can be alleviated if you just plan properly and draw your shots out draw your floor plans and if if you can't draw like make a floor plan make a floor plan and like one thing i've done like i'll literally take my um camera and i'll go to the location and oh, people I'll, done that quite a few. I'll put on my 25 millimeter lens and they're like, yep, I'm going to stand in here. Just fire this off right here. This is what I want. You know what I mean? I've seen guys bring me little, just, you know, like I just did the servant show before the pandemic have hit. And, you know, they would actually take me on the set and, um, and I get my little camera out and just snap. I'd say, is this where you want to? Cause I kind of know where to set a camera. Yeah. And uh, the DP was a really good DP. He's really good. He's from Switzerland. Um, um, we just, and I just took those things onto my pad and I traced them. It was, we'd already figured it out. And then I put yeah, all man. the details around them um, because the sets were already built. And yeah. all I had to do is walk around with Lisa, the director. She's really good. Lisa Borman. She did an incredible movie. It was called uh, something blue. It was really good. Um, but these two from, were from Switzerland. They were just terrific. And um, 
um, it was a different way of doing it, but it wasn't any, too much different. Um, we couldn't visualize much because the set was already built. You know, most of the time you don't have your sets built, so you can visualize and then go out and get your sets. But yeah. in this case, that that was a television show. They were all built, and they're beautiful sets, man. Mm. And that show, the servant, wow, they're just gorgeous. Wow. The whole thing, it's Apple was the purveyors of this, and it was just. A wonderful experience because they were all so skilled at what they were doing. The people were there. It was in, outside of Philadelphia there. And um, but getting back to what we were talking about, there are all sorts of ways you can do this now. And people bring me pictures all the time. And sometimes I just take my little cell phone and I take a picture of their picture. Don't waste any time, you know. Yeah. Or I take my iPad and take a picture of it and put it into the format that I have and draw it up, you know. Yeah. Uh, but so many times it'll limit you because. You want to get higher than what they have, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they have to tell me that, and then I can do that, yeah. you know? I'll figure out how to do that. But yes. um, you don't want to get too reliant on dumb head technology, you know? I mean, you don't. <laughs> right. Yeah, you, want to, you want to create stuff. Your imagination is most valuable asset on these things, not computer, you know? No, no way. Yeah, I like the tactile aspect of it. and. Yeah, I do. I remember my my short film I just sent you. I um, walked my boards up to the AD that worked that I that I hired. His name is Ed Johns, and he looked at the boards and he goes, "Thank you so much." <laughs> Good AD, appreciate it, man. I worked with Bex Magruder for years. She was wonderful. You know, she was wonderful. We were quite the team. You know, when we were drawing these things, she would sit at my table and go through them as soon as I drew them. She could read them, you know. Most people can't read those drawings that early, and it's too hard. But she was wonderful. She was, and uh, David Webb, he was like that, and uh, a lot of great, great ads. You know, ads have one of the hardest jobs is keeping the director under control. Oh, know? no kidding. Yeah, but the thing is that I found like when I worked on that film with Ed, this ad, like because all of this stuff was already pre-planned then we could actually work together as partners creatively to like unto the same goal. And then he, he didn't have to wrangle me in because we already had it figured out. It's like, yep, we're starting on the wide year at the 25 and blah, blah, blah. Evil they'll protect your ass from evil producers and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So ultimately J Todd, this is what I want. I want, what? I, what I want you to, if you could just pass on like, What's the golden nugget for uh, this new generation of filmmakers that have great ideas? They're great writers. They have amazing imaginations. Um, what, what's one skill could you pass on to them to say, please, 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 please don't lose this. Please, 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 please remember this. Like, and and you're pr- put on your professorial hat. What what uh what would you want to pass on to a new this new generation of filmmakers? You don't really need a storyboard artist to make a storyboard. You really don't. You just have to have to know what you want, and then if you start drawing it, it will come. And then you call in somebody that you you know. For the most important thing is to make sure you plan what you're doing. You know, plan it to the nth degree if you have to. Plan everything, and that most of that stuff doesn't cost a lot of money to plan. That's what I think. I think you're gonna make a movie. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, plan it. You know, plan it. Uh, we've proven it works. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, dude. You look at every single that, Coen that, Brother movie. 
who's that German director? Um, he's real famous. He did the bear movie, the bear ate the guy alive. And, oh, um, wait, Werner Herzog? Yeah, he says. I love him. Werner Herzog. Well, yeah. he has he has this notorious comment, uh, and he says storyboarding is the instrument of the cowards. Well, what? you know, that's what he says. You know, you know, when somebody you know claim that you know why don't you storyboard this stuff when you go out there and shoot it? He goes, it's the instrument of the cowards. That's what he says. Dude. And, um, what that's that's hard for me to believe that because i actually love it is looking up you know and there he is you know master class he's he's sitting there on his you know his stuff telling everybody how how incredible you know his ability is to go out and shoot stuff with with no guidance you know know. he's also you know principally as i as i understand he's he's kind of a documentarian director Yeah. yeah but you know I'm here to tell Mr. Herzog, Werner Herzog, <laughs> that, you know, your storyboarding will help you save your budget, you know, because it, yeah. it's, it's called this little thing that he doesn't, he, you know, he's so artful about what he says because he's such an incredible filmmaker. It's yeah. called planning, planning. <laughs> and, right. you know, since he has a money hose and he can just squirt it in any direction and get whatever he wants, that's fine. Sure. You know, he he can afford not to be a coward if he has plenty of money to go out and shoot it and, and sit there on his duff in his old age and talk about how brave he was and everything. But some of us, you know, we're pretty good about making sure that the amount of money that we spend is done with a lot of proficiency. Sure. You know? um, and that's what it's all about. He can, you know, I just think he's a little pretentious on that. You know, he's made a lot of good movies. He has. Yep. Yeah, and I'm here to tell you, Mister Herzog, that <laughs> you know, it's not for the cowards. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know. Perhaps only a sissy have... would say something like that. Only yeah, a... perhaps he should have reframed it a little bit. In a little, a little I think he should have just used terms. before he slapped you know storyboard artist upside of the head. You know, yeah. like Michael Chapman. You know, when he's talking about how storyboards are worthless and everything, but if Marty does them, they're okay. Right. Well, I mean, this is actually a perfect invitation for Werner Herzog to become a guest on my podcast and kind of clear the air on. Come on, on Mr. Coward. Why don't you get on here and clear the air? Stand up here, buddy. I've been doing this for 30 years, just like you. I'm not as old as you are, but, you know, um, I can hold my own on this. I can tell you why it's not cowardice because, you know, people spend real money when they're making movies, you know? Yeah. yeah, you go out and find your own bear and you wrestle with them and then, you know, shoot it for us, you know, without right. storyboards. I'd like to watch that. Yeah. Wrestle a bear. Mr. Bring Herzog. it on, Werner. The yeah, line has been drawn in the sand by J. Todd Anderson. Hey, come on, coward. Step oh. over. I'm, oh. wet. I'm ready for you. Come on. <laughs> but the thing is, is I, I know that that um, friendly uh, little challenge came out of deep respect for him as a filmmaker you know you, you wouldn't he's okay it's not deep <laughs> respect i mean i work with a lot of directors sure, he's just yeah, another yeah. director to me he really is yeah. um you know and i work with some directors that respect storyboards and we get a lot done um yeah. excuse me i think joel and ethan cullen come to mind yeah. uh, we've been doing it for quite a while mr herzog you know so well, and I would you argue. Step up here, buddy. Anytime. Yeah. You know? Anytime. Like you want to call me a coward? Step on up here. You know, I know you're old and, and, and you're probably a little feeble, but 
you know, I can still do a pretty good job at defending myself. So step on up here, pal. Come on, man. This is a formal invitation, Werner, yeah. Mr. Herzog. Um, okay, well, but you, you said that he's got this endless money hose or however you put it. Well, I must I, I would, when I you would, shoot a movie and you yeah. don't storyboard, you do have a money hose because yeah. you, can, you can sort through your mistakes after they're made. Yeah. But when you storyboard, you're anticipating, there's that word that, you know, most people, when they first get in the business, they don't understand that's part of the, the craft and skill of making movies is anticipating. Right. You anticipate, you know, what you're going to do and you don't forget it either once it's, because we are going to picture here. Yeah. It's not, you know, embracing and hugging a script and then going out and shooting something. No, we actually move it to picture and then yes. you go. And storyboarding isn't for everybody, but we mm -hmm. certainly aren't cowards. We right. certainly aren't. You Mr. Know, that's the motive. Yeah, Mr. Right. Herzog, you know. Well, but, but I would say there's probably an argument for the fact that the Coen brothers have a, a money hose, but they decide that they want to be efficient with the resources. We put it on the screen, man. In the early days, yes. we didn't get a whole lot of budgets, and we put it on the screen every way we could. And uh, oh, Dude, that's what it is. We did. That, it's we did. powerful. I mean, we made good movies, great movies, some, some say, but we put it on the screen. Our budgets were really slim in the old, uh, in the old days. And, um, you know, you didn't hear Joel or Ethan standing around saying, Death is staring us in the face, like Mr. Herzog. <laughs> right. Um, uh -huh. Death is staring us, you know, at the with the camera. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Aren't you the big brave filmmaker? Whoa! Whoa! We I'm took so advantage by your accent. Advantage of, of I'm a German, planning, by the way. And we took advantage of our planning, and um, we were trying to make sure we didn't we didn't uh, misspend the money, and then that's mm -hmm. how we did it. Yeah. It's really good. I love it. Honestly, Jay Todd, to me, like that is just one more like very pithy explanation and defense for why storyboarding is absolutely crucial if you want to make a perfect movie because you're putting as much as possible on the screen instead of wasting a ton of time and resources on trying to figure out where the fuck to put the camera. Yep. And I've seen a lot of directors do that too. But I, I want to make sure it's very clear here. Storyboarding isn't for everybody. Okay. It isn't. Some okay. people, it works for them very, very well. And other yeah. people, it just doesn't work for them. You yeah. know, like Mr. Herzog. But it doesn't mean <laughs> you got to go around calling us, you know, calling Sissies. those filmmakers cowards. You know? Yeah, right. You know, he's, he's the coward, you know, for calling me out. You know, I'm sitting there collecting that money for Masterclass, you know. Ooh. Uh, I'm doing this for free. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, True, dude. Man, I'm you are giving just you like... a master class on Ben Eisner's, you know, show for free. I'm oh, I'm not the pretentious guy who's acting like he's doing us a big favor by telling you know how to do this. So I have your permission to post all this. I don't care. <laughs> Perfect. No, I don't I'm... go around calling people cowards that are into my business. You know, I just it's just not. A good mm -hmm. thing to do because we've had a very, very. I've had a lot of success yeah. making storyboarding movies. That's what's kept me living, you know. Sure. And I just don't think it's it's very classy Fair. going around Not saying it's classy. the instrument of cowards, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my point. I'm allowed well, to defend myself on this, you know. No absolutely. And you know what? You saying that doesn't take away any um, value I got out of that masterclass. I mean, I, I, I did the annual all access masterclass thing. 
and the very tippy top of every single course I took, Werner Herzog was number one. So, Mr. Herzog, I respect you, and I, I've gleaned a lot of amazing stuff from you. But on the storyboard aspect, I kind of have to part with your opinion. Yeah. And go I like your bear back. movie, fella, but, you know, yeah. it's okay. Everything else is okay. You know? Everything else is okay. <laughs> if you, you know, I want to know, what did you do to get that bear to eat the guy? That's what Ooh, I want to know. Right. Did you tie a stake around his ankle or something <laughs> like that? Or... <laughs> Oh, that's so good. <laughs> only joking. Only I'm only joking. joking, you know. So yeah. it's made my, you know, I've done lived a comfortable life because of storyboarding movies. So, and we've done a lot of good work. So I just think you can plan by storyboarding without drawing. Just figure it out. Put it on paper and draw your little floor plans. Figure out where your cameras go and think it through. Because you know, there's all sorts of philosophies, scales, you know. Um, the stuff we our four rules are basically you know for observing great movies that's what they're for is finding them and uh, watching them and learning from them so in, in terms of just your collaboration with the brothers and kind of this uh, formula that just keeps working every single time what do you think uh, you're bringing to the table that you just know is going to deliver what they're always looking for well the sure and fastest way to getting results is being a good listener you know, mm. and that is a skill. Um, mm. I'm here to tell people, you never stop learning how to listen. Um, mm. And that is something you have to keep refining and refining for the rest of your life. But you can take it to levels that people never really thought about. Um, mm. And, you know, one of the reasons I have to be a good listener is because I'm trying to give them what their movie is. I'm not there to make my movie. Mm. I am there to bring in my bag of tricks and utilize it according to what they want. So the better, and you know, you ask, uh, you know, good questions are good answers, man. Like we talked about. Yeah. Um, and if you can anticipate and be a good listener, you're going to get there a lot faster and give them what they want. You know, like a good listener will understand intuitively that you're delivering, you know, because you're listening so good. Yes. Um, it's not hearing, it's listening. listening it means yeah. listening be in between the lines and knowing little fragments of sentences, what they mean. Um, mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, I know I did it with you and I did it with the guys that made Peter, but I just sit there sometimes and I say, tell me about this. Just mm -hmm. tell me about it. Yeah. And then I get one pass through listening really good. And I'm looking for patterns, mm. uh, significant words. Um, I've read the script and now I'm trying to figure out how to put the best stuff, you know, in the drawing. Um, because there's so much stuff. It just gets washed down the uh, gutter because, you know, you know, when you draw it, you, you have a record of it. And the yeah. best way to get a record of anything is being an incredible listener. Mm. And that's something you have to work at, you know? Um, listening skills are, are, are highly underrated. Um, yeah, so important. Um, and that's what I do, man. I turn on the listening switch, and then I go into a little bit different frame of mind than most people will do, uh, because I got to turn these things into pictures. And I'm mm -hmm. looking for every advantage I can get, you know? It's really good. It's got to yeah. go to an uh, existential kind of conclusion, you know, by mm -hmm. listening. 
Yeah, because like I get the sense that your when you reference your bag of tricks, it's not like, ooh, I'm gonna try to find out the most inventive, cool, nifty way to capture this story. That that's not your that's not your goal. Um, it it is moving the, the story forward the most efficiently you can. Is that is that story efficiently as canon, and it has to be the director's story. That's mm. the most important part. Um, the tone usually has a, a, a really incredible set of fingerprints on there of the director, mm. you know, and that's what I try to do. I am measuring what that director says according to what he wants or she wants. I, you know, I've worked with, um, starting to work with a lot more female directors and um, everything's the same. You still got to be a good listener. You know, <laughs> I don't care yeah. if it's man, woman, it doesn't matter. It got to be a good listener. And that, like I said before, is something you have to work at. You have mm -hmm. to work at, you know, and you yeah. can become a good listener for the rest of your life. Even if you get hard hearing, you know, and make hearing aids, you know, so. Um, right. It's well, just it's a lot of concentration and really, concentration. you know, like Jimmy Clark used to say, he doesn't drive that race car. He concentrates with that race car. <laughs> you know? Yeah, man. Well, says, I mean, the, harder, the faster I drive, the more I concentrate. And that's true yeah. in movies because you're yeah. trying to tell that story to the point where people all of a sudden are, as you said before, according to that book, you know, mm. uh, what you said about that, that comment about that uh, director um, or whatever he was. Um, uh, what did he say? Yeah, you should quote that because that's what it's all about. You know, um, the first one where I said uh, the business of stories is not enchantment. The business of stories is not escape. The business of stories is waking up. Yes. Those are the first three lines of this book. And that's what you the want, man. Twin. That's what you want to do as a listener is deliver that, you know? Yeah, dude. It's so good. Well, it's funny because like every single aspect of filmmaking from directing to acting to gaffing to cinematography to storyboards it literally is all about being as present as possible to the moment and listening because well, that's how you get there man you know yeah, dude. that's how you get there um, that's your ticket to ride you know yeah man sanford meisner man if you know sanford meisner he has taught me so much sandy meisner. Yeah. yeah sandy meisner i took a uh 10 week intensive course that was like a year's worth of intensive that was jammed into 10 weeks and it was really intense but um it changed my life in fargo yeah when i get shot yeah and i i wrestle myself out of that car and run across the field and they shoot me peter stomari and prince was not there Peter needs to know and understand that I'm still alive. Prince was nowhere around. He should stop people, stop telling people that because that's not true. Prince was nowhere on that set. Anyway, um, I got out of the car and ran across the field, and he shoots me on the cut on the other side. How they did it was the car's upside down, and we were out in the middle of this lake, this huge lake. And it was melting, so we always had to move down a little bit every time we did the take because the water was melting. I used to, I fell on the, the ice broke, and I fell on the lake once, you know, and they had to hook me out. What? And then they changed clothes. And I had a little squib in my hand, and I would punch the squib, and then the little explosive would go off in the back of my jacket. Mm. 
But because we didn't have much money, I don't, we only had a couple of jackets, you know, to do that in. They were down jackets. And once they're blown, they're blown. And that's back in the old days when you had to really do it. And um, so what happened is I was inside the car, upside down. And they would run out with like a, a grinder with a big wheel on it. And that would start the wheel on the back of the car. So it looked like it just wrecked. Because the car doesn't wreck. You never see it wreck, which is right. really cool. Yeah. And then Joel would be on the radio, uh, and he would say, "Okay, go now, Jay Todd, go." And and I get out and run around, and uh, and I hear, you know, the hand clap, and that meant hit the squib, and I fall down. No good. It's like three times, and we had to keep moving down as the the lake was melting. You know, not at that moment, but it was kind of frail, so we had to be really careful. And so we moved down another 100 feet and did it again. And the crew was all behind me with all the lights. I couldn't really see anything. So I was screwing it up bad, you know. Mm. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, this is my first acting role. I'm going to screw this up. So I'm in the car. And we go, okay, we're going to go take, I don't know, it seemed like four or five. It was probably that. And Joel would be on the radio. (laughs) He would say, okay. Go now, JTI, go now. And I ran my shoulder into the door of the car. I'm inside the car, it's upside down. And it wouldn't open. And he's hollering and screaming at me on the radio. Get out of that car, JTI, get out of that car. And I'm ramming my shoulder and then I'm really panicking. I'm like, oh, I'm screwing this up so bad. And it finally came open. And I, you know, I'm all upset and everything, and I stumble around out there and run about ten feet, and then I hear the hand clap, and I fall, I hit the hit the explosive device on my back, and I fall down. And they said, "That's great, that's great, that's fantastic, we got it." And what they did is they packed snow up around the car door, so I couldn't get out. Oh. Don't trick me. Yes, <laughs> I love it. That's, that's how they did that take, and Joel tricked me. And and uh, he acted like he was really mad and everything, but he wasn't. He was tricking me. And uh, that's how they got that take because I was so scared that I was, I was screwing it up. And he knew it. And that's and how that was a director works, you know? Yes. Uh, that's why Actor it surprises. Joel such a great director, you know? Yes. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, man. When Joel you can, like, throw. Joel that's Joel what I'm yeah. Yeah. yeah, when you can throw an element of surprise in there for the actor, all of a sudden you're triggering an no, opportunity see, for a truthful What you moment. see on that movie is exactly what happened, and that's how it happened, because we have four or five takes, and we were really kind of in trouble because the lake was starting to crack and break. It was a huge, mm. it was supposed to look like a moon. And, of course, I was in the red coat, you know. And, you know, we they had decent money, okay money, but they didn't have enough money to go through 20 takes. No. You know, back then. Um, Fargo was a very, very, you know, it was a very limited engagement because of the money and the problems we had with the weather. And so storyboarding, Mr. Herzog, really came in handy on that movie. <laughs> it all comes back. And to I can tell you, Herzog. everybody was out there with 10 below zero, and none of those people were cowards. Just <laughs> none rub of those it people in there. were the instrument of cowards. Just rub it in there a little more. <laughs> Hey, man, you hang out at a barbershop, going to get a haircut, Warner. That's how it happens, you know. You want to pick on me? That's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Here it is. We're just, like, calling you to the table, Werner. You better come on my show. Come on my show. And and I'll just phone in Jay Todd, and we can have a three-way conversation about storyboarding and cowards. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see who's – 
who in the room's a coward then, Mr. Herzog? Let's see if you can <laughs> step up to the challenge, Mr. Herzog. <laughs> the gauntlet has been laid down or thrown down. We make right. movies. We don't make documentarian films, man. Ooh. <laughs> Is that how you pronounce it? Documentarian or documentary or... You know, documentary. That sounds good. I know it's I'm documentary gonna... filmmaker, documentarian films. I think I'm not sure. I need to be corrected by somebody. No. I'm a documentary filmmaker. I'm a documentarian. Which which is it, man? Which is? I How's think it it's work? either or. It's tomato, tomato. Yeah. Well, we make movies. We'll let the Germans make the films. So, <laughs> you know, every night in this pandemic, I watch about two movies a night. You know, I stay up to about four, just like I was a kid watching movies. You know. I record them on TCM and anywhere I can get them, watch them. And um, become, I've become a little reacclimated with the older movies and the great directors. Um, like John Huston, um, watched an incredibly short movie by his last night, Red Badge of Courage with Audie Murphy, who was the most decorated soldier in the United States Army to this day. What? Is that true? Yeah, Audie Murphy, yeah. What? He was the most decorated soldier in the history of the U.S. Army, and then he became a movie star. You know, um, did not know that. He even made his own movie about him. You know, hmm. they him back, Ollie Murphy, which is still one of the most popular money-making movies of the studio's time. I can't remember what the studio is. It still makes more money than anything. It's really corny if you watch it, but it's him playing himself. Um, and then I watched him in Red Badge of Courage, and he had a career as an actor. He was killed in a plane crash. Um, but, you know, John, the guy was an incredible person. He was only like 5'5", five, five, and they washed him out of all four services, and he just kept coming back with persistence. He ended up in the Army and uh, ended up doing things that nobody ever dreamed of, and um uh, all of a sudden, you know, at the end of the war, he was the most decorated soldier in the U.S. Army, and he was a washout. None of nobody really wanted him, but he knew what he wanted, and he went after it. So respected, man. That's it's incredible. Persistence. Persistence, man. That's the it. Name of the game, man. Well, I'm not. I'm sure as shit not giving up. So. Well, that's what I say. Persistence is guaranteed to work. You just got your whole life to try and do it. You know, that's it's guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Guaranteed. <laughs> it's, it's the most pragmatic guarantee you'll ever have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Persistence, man. Persistence. Persistence. That's it. Well, dude, um, I've taken you've given me a lot of your time. And oh, I'm sorry, you can cut it up. Most of these things end up getting cut into like half their time. So, like, I know you. I appreciate doing this. Thank you very much. And I got plenty of time right now until I start working again. So amazing. I appreciate it. Well, I mean, know this that I know you've drawn a lot of films and worked on tons of films. Um, I really hope you don't get tired of drawing um by the time I'm ready to hire no, you to do all my, my films. We'll take care. I I'm in love with that movie you got going on there, Thomas Merton. I think it's Thank a you. really beautiful thing. I think it can be turned into something very special. Oh, thanks, Jay Todd. I think once you make that movie, all of a sudden people will know who Thomas Merton is. You know, yeah. And uh, that was my heart. Is like I don't want to make a special interest film about a Catholic monk. That sounds fucking boring to me. And 
I, I, I really care about the person and that, 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 that he represents is just a Isn't really down to earth person. Set it on fire and it was, Oh, that's the wrong movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I can add that to the screenplay. <laughs> that's what Hollywood would say. Did Thomas kidnap anybody? Oh, uh, no use for this movie. I know. It's just going to take the mm-hmm. right um, person, financier, whatever, to see between the lines, like the, the gold that really is there and, and who he was and bringing him to life, you know, for our generation. So he was an activist, man. He was a social agitator. He pissed everybody off. Hey, man, he made things happen. He responded, you know. He really did. He was a beautiful, wonderful person. Uh, you know what Bruce McGuire and the race car driver said, you know, we he was killed very early. He said that life is measured in achievement, not years. So mm, love it. Well, I plan to direct films till I'm a hundred anyway, so I got plenty of time. There you go, man. You got your wife behind you, how can you go wrong? Exactly. My wife is the best. I love her so much. But you know what? <laughs> a huge part of why we moved to LA was uh, like I really believe it's all for you, she, right? It's no, you. hell no, no. She's she's a she's an empowerment coach, and she's yeah. got this great background in health and wholeness and holistic living, and she's really right. good at what she does. So, anyways, she's gonna kill it it's here. Poison right out of Hollywood, man. Yeah, dude. Well, um, Jay Todd, let's uh, let's stay in touch, man. I, I really want to tell me anytime you want. You know where I'm at, and yeah, uh, you dude. know, I if, if the pandemic went ahead, I would have been out there in your town working probably. You know, I had yeah. a couple of projects that were in the pipeline. So, um, well, please next time you're here, like, let me know because I'd love to hang out with you, man. All right, and uh, and I'll come to um, Dayton one of these days, and we'll work on my one my next film. Well, if I'm here, this is a great place to work. You know, yeah, I loved it. It's, it's great. Good tranquil environment and you're not surrounded by hollywood and that's uh you can get a lot of things done here and take it to hollywood and do it you know so. heck yeah wonderful well i'm, I'm glad i know you man and thanks thanks so much okay. for your time today do great work cheers man you're the best peace thanks for listening everyone for more information on jay todd and the ability to buy his book the big lebowski the official storyboards visit his website at storyboardsbyjtodanderson.com. If you like what you hear, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a review. Peace to you until then, and bye-bye for now.